Another week and another episode of the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. June is here and for Michigan that means field work is in full swing. This also means our forages and forage plants begin to take center stage in many operations across the state. In today's episode, MSU Extension Forage Educator Phil Cates and Dr. Kim Cassida discuss some of the key elements regarding fertility and some of the issues impacting this growing season. Valuable forage information in today's episode, so let's get started. Hi everyone, my name is Phil Cates. I'm an extension educator for forages, and with me today is Dr. Kim Cassida, our forage agronomist for Michigan State University. And it's a pleasure to have Kim joining us to talk about forages and some of the important parts of a forage plan for the 2020 growing season. Kim, welcome, and we're glad to have you here. I'd like to start talking a little bit about forage fertility and what type of things we should be concentrating on uh, during the growing season and actually thinking about fertility, not just for the growing season, but for a year long approach. So give us some of the things that you would like producers to concentrate on when talking about forage fertility. Well, first of all, I can't uh, overestimate the importance of basing your fertility program on an actual soil test, because otherwise you're just guessing. If you are applying fertility just based on what your yield is or your expected yield, uh, you're still making assumptions about what your starting point was in your soil. I like to see forage tests being done on a hay field or or a pasture uh, at least every three years, give you a baseline to know what you need to be putting out there. And typically uh, we're already past the spring green up point where you would typically be putting on um, your first dose of fertilizer. You can put phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, boron can all go on in the spring. When we're talking about alfalfa, of course, we don't need to put nitrogen on that. But if you do have grasses and less than 25% legume in it, then uh, your nitrogen application can be very helpful. But here we are, mostly after first cut has already been taken off, and that's still an excellent time to put on P and K and sulfur and boron if you need those. You want to make sure to get out there as soon as possible after you've taken the first cutting off, particularly with alfalfa, because when you are driving over that field after the new shoots start to emerge, the uh, wheel traffic will break them off. And that's when you're very susceptible to getting traffic damage on your stands. Kim, how would you rank those things that you talked about in fertility between phosphorus, potassium, sulfur? How would you rank those in order of importance for an alfalfa and grass field of forages? Well, again, it depends on what your initial uh, soil test was. But probably most typically what we see lacking here in Michigan is potassium. Alfalfa removes a lot of potassium and it removes as much potassium in a ton of hay as it does nitrogen. And it's very important to replace that because the potassium is the most important nutrient to help the plant withstand stress that's coming from the weather. So particularly cold stress and winter kill, which we did see a little bit of winter kill last winter had a few reports of. And if the plant is lacking in potassium, that cold weather is going to hammer it a lot harder. Probably the second most 
uh, important thing that we're seeing in Michigan right now is sulfur. And that relates to the fact that uh, we never used to have to worry about sulfur because we had sulfur coming through acid rain, but we cleaned up our air. And, and now we're actually seeing a significant number of alfalfa fields that can benefit from sulfur application of about 20, 25 pounds per year. Um, and what you'll typically see in an alfalfa field that's lacking sulfur is that it may be very uneven. And you'll see it more often on a sandier soil. And the plants in the areas that are shorter will often be yellowed. Uh, but they'll be yellowed from the uh, top of the plant rather than the bottom leaves. So Kim, what form of sulfur should be used? I know that there are several different forms available for producers. Uh, what would you recommend as far as the form for sulfur to be used by farmers? I would actually defer to Kurt Steinke on this. He's our soil fertility specialist for, for crops. But what we apply a lot of on our research plots is simply gypsum. Gypsum is a pretty good sulfur source. It's not too expensive. It works well for alfalfa. Of course, you can use ammonium sulfate, but uh, the alfalfa doesn't need the ammonium. So putting on just plain gypsum is a good way to uh, get the sulfur without having to pay for the other things. So I think that goes right along with what Dr. Stenke has talked about, that a sulfate form is readily available. It's easily moved into the soil with water, and then it's going to be more available than just the element of sulfur and applying that because that takes time, doesn't it, Kim? Right. Elemental sulfur is not the way to go. It's, it's applied in very small amounts. It's difficult to spread evenly and slowly available and expensive. <laughs> so there are better ways to get your sulfur. So Kim, one of the things that I've had many producers in the dairy industry talk to me about is that they use manure as one of the ways to return fertility to their hay fields. And how do you feel about using uh, removal rates as a basis for putting on manure and resupplying the amount of nutrients that these fields need? Are they going to get an adequate amount of phosphorus and potassium back onto these fields if they use that approach? Probably not. I mean, it's actually pretty easy to use manure to meet your phosphorus need. But the problem is that there's so much phosphorus in the manure that you hit your phosphorus limit pretty quickly and you still don't have enough potassium. And if it's a grass crop, you probably don't have enough nitrogen either. Uh, and as we know, we really don't want to be over applying phosphorus because it has serious implications for surface water quality. So while manure is a great way to, to apply nutrients, it doesn't balance it correctly for, your, for what you're removing in your forage crop. Kim, when is the best time to add these fertilizers to a, a forage field? Can they do it all at once in the springtime? Uh, should they split these applications? What is your recommendation for that? You're just talking about putting on P and K. Again, you're using a soil test to base it on and you're not having to put on the maximum rates. You can do it in one application with those nutrients and probably also with sulfur. And with boron once a year would be plenty because you're not putting out very much. Nitrogen, on the other hand, for grasses is usually better put on as a split application. So you would put one application in the spring and it green up again after first cutting. Uh, and if you're in a really high yield situation, 
maybe again after second cutting, if you have the rainfall to support it. Because remember, if you put out nitrogen and you don't have rainfall, the nitrogen can't get into the plant. And in the case of a forage crop, that can contribute to nitrate toxicity in the crop if you don't have enough water to drive growth to take up the nitrogen that's available. So you have to be a little bit careful there and watch the weather forecast. So Kim, talking about first cutting and dry weather and having water to move those nutrients into the soil, we've had a very dry late winter and spring season. And with that, uh, we've had a reduction in water. So how does that relate to the yields that we've seen this year uh, for alfalfa and grass so far uh, based on the results you've seen at Michigan State University? Well, we've actually got a number of things going on that's not helping our forage crops this spring. Um, aside from the fact that we are in a fairly significant record setting dry period, um, and that started last fall, so it stayed dry all over the winter. That means our soil reserves are lower. And remember that our perennial crops are active during the winter. Just because you don't see anything happening above ground doesn't mean nothing's happening below ground. And so they were being impacted by that dry weather even over the winter. And in many parts of the state, we didn't have a lot of snow cover last year. So I have had some reports of winter kill and, and cold stress affecting the plants. And then we were not helping anything this spring when we had those alternating spells of really warm followed by back to cold and then back to warm and back to cold. Um, really slowed down the growth on, on some of our forages. So in the case of grasses in particular, a lot of their flowering response is actually driven by day length, not by temperature. Um, alfalfa is driven largely by temperature, but um, grasses will not get taller. They, they're going to flower at a given time of year, regardless of what the weather has been like. And if they haven't had water and at least a little bit of warm weather to help them grow, then you end up with a, a depressed yield. Uh, and I'm also hearing a lot of reports around the state of alfalfa yields being down. In our variety tests, um, our, our yields have been average. You know, in a variety test, we're trying to keep optimal care. So those plants lack for nothing. But when we look at the production fields here around campus, those are more oriented in a more practical way. Uh, those yields are definitely lower than they, than they should be. Kim, I'm going to switch topics on us here for uh, the remaining time that we have. And let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we see coming up uh, for a second and third cutting and hopefully a good fourth cutting as well this year. What things should we be looking for in the upcoming weeks and months? Well, we should all be doing our, our rain dances to try <laughs> get our, uh, our precipitation up because one of the things that will happen with the forages, all of our forages, our perennial forages that we work with here in Michigan are what we call cool season plants. So they typically will slow down in the hot dry part of summer normally so if if we remain in this drought situation and it also gets hot especially if it gets hotter than normal the regrowth on those is really going to slow down that obviously impacts the potential for second and third cutting and we've seen that in a couple of the past years where we had a really hot dry spell in late summer that basically slowed down the regrowth of our alfalfa and our grasses. And uh, we weren't getting as many cuttings in many parts of the state as we would have liked to have. 
So Kim, one of the things that I know is that we really can't make rain ourselves unless you have irrigation. We are at the, the whim of, of what the rainfall is, but what other things will affect our yields and our stands, uh, especially for alfalfa? Well, one thing we need to keep in mind is, is that we, we have reached the time of year where the potato leafhoppers start moving into Michigan. And I thought I saw a little bit of hopper burn on a stand yesterday that I was looking at. Couldn't find any insects, but certainly looked like they might be starting to get here. You'll see the damage first will go around the edge of a field. So be ready to be out there scouting. Uh, and the last thing you want to do with your alfalfa is already stressed by all these other things. You don't want to let it also be stressed by potato leafhopper. Um, so it's probably a good time to be proactive on an insect control program, but you want to base that on actual scouting rather than just spray. Kim, let's talk a little bit about potato leafhopper and what the effects of those leafhoppers will have on especially our alfalfa stands across the state of Michigan. Well, the effect that we see with potato leafhopper, it's a sucking insect. So it, it pierces the, the stems um, and gets into the veins of the plants and sucks out sap. Um, and in the process of doing that, it damages the nutrient flow system inside the plant. We're not entirely sure exactly how it does that, but it can result in stunting of the plant because the plant can no longer transport its nutrients and its sap properly around through the plant. And it can give you a significant yield reduction. And it can also last past the point where you see the actual insects. So in other words, that damage could be long lasting in the plant through the rest of the season, even after you no longer see the insects there. So it is important to control them and typically by the time you're seeing a lot of hopper burn and a lot of insects flying out every time you walk through the stand, then you've already got significant damage. That's why it's so important to get out there with a sweep net and actually do the scouting and look for threshold levels of insects because you will find that before you're seeing significant amounts of hopper burn. Well, I think we have covered some of the things that that I wanted to discuss today on our forages going into the growing season. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add today? You know, I say this over and over. I probably say this in every presentation I ever give on forage management, but we're here, you know, once again, facing a weather <laughs> extreme problem and people want to know how to address it. But by far the best way to make sure that your forage stands um, can withstand stresses like drought is to make sure they were healthy going into the drought. It's really too late to do a big fix when you're already in the middle of the stress. The best defense is a good offense. I'd like to thank Dr. Cassida for being with us today. And we look forward to having another opportunity to talk about forages one of my favorite topics when it comes to the dairy production uh, in the state of Michigan. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Kim. Everyone get out there, take care of your forages. Thank you, Phil and Dr. Cassida for today's episode. I would like to remind everyone that to stay up to date about what is happening or what to look for in this season, visit MSU Extension Crop Team website regularly. They are very proactive in surveying fields and providing information throughout the season. So stay tuned for new developments as the season gets along. For additional questions on today's episode, you can reach Phil Cates at Cates, that's K-A-A-T-E-S, 
z at msu.edu. Join us next week when we will switch from ingredients to what happens with them when we talk about feed management. So I hope you'll join us then. Thank you.